Where are you cowboys and cowgirls at? Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand and welcome to Modern Cowboy, the podcast for the cowboy lifestyles and businesses around the world. I'm glad you're here, so sit back in your saddle and prepare to be inspired, motivated, educated, and entertained as I interview a new guest each week that embodies the modern cowboy. Hey everybody, this is Dan Hillenbrand with the episode 11 of the Modern Cowboy podcast, and I'm really excited to have on the show today a Hollywood director, producer, film writer, uh, all kinds of experience uh, in, in that field, uh, Stephen Savage. Um, first, I just want to acknowledge uh, our sponsor for today's show. It's uh, Martin New Rasp, Rasp Designs. Uh, they make all their jewelry and spurs and just a bunch of cool accessories out of uh, used horseshoe or hoof rasps. So they've got a lot of great stuff. You can check them out on Facebook or Instagram at Rasp Designs. Um, and it must be pretty cool stuff because George Strait's ordered things from them already. So um, check them out. That's Martin New, M-A-R-I-N-E-A-U, RASP, R-A-S-P, Designs. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm really excited to have Stephen on the show today. And um, welcome to Modern Cowboy, Stephen. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it, man. And I, I'm glad you turned me on to your podcast because I've been listening to it. I I uh, uh, subscribe to it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for what you're doing. It's a great, it's a great podcast. Hey, well, thanks. And, and actually, you know, that's how I, I found you as I saw that you had launched a podcast and I actually listened to, you know, your first episode and then I kind of reached out to you on social media. And once you told me a little bit of the history about yourself, I thought you'd just be an awesome guy to have on the show. So if you want to just, you know, give us your, your history with, uh, you know, filmmaking and, and what you do and your history with uh, horses and, and uh, however brief or detailed you want to go. Sure. I mean, you've got, you've actually got an easier, uh, a harder time than I do because I just call up my Hollywood friends, actors and directors and, <laughs> and <laughs> cinematographers. And I just say, Hey, you do me a friend deal and just come on the podcast. And right. You actually have to go and, and I noticed look for people who actually have real stuff to say. <laughs> it's just kind of myself and my friends, but yeah. So, uh, I'm a film and television and commercial director. I've done, uh, I'm working on my seventh feature film right now. Um, I've done commercial work uh, uh, for companies like Tesla, Hyundai, Acura. Um, I do a lot of, um, you know, directing live footage for the Hollywood Bowl, uh, things like that. As far as my feature films go um, and my television work, I've done a lot of, uh, I've done some Westerns, uh, not mostly Westerns, mostly what I do is, you know, I've done a lot of chick flicks and crime drama, things like that, but I've done my fair share of Westerns just because that's kind of, um, it's kind of something since I was a kid, I was very interested in Westerns. They just spoke to me in some way. And even though I was raised in, in, uh, the, the Los Angeles, Orange County area, and then in San Francisco for a while in a, a big city kid, I still westerns just really is what grabbed me i started early studying even though i didn't know i was studying film at the time watching john ford movies and sergio leone's spaghetti westerns and and just thinking to myself why did they do that why did they shoot it that way oh you know and it wasn't until i was much older and went to film school and started figuring figuring out why these things were done the way they were done but yeah westerns um kind of what got me into uh, directing film was just was that genre of, of filmmaking. 
Yeah, that, that that's great. Well, it's it's interesting too, like because you know that's how I think I got started was just watching Roy Rogers and you know Lone Ranger mm-hmm. and everything, and uh, you know lo and behold, I just I thought it was a cowboy, and, and I am to this day. So <laughs> yeah, I uh, I grew up in the in the seventies, and uh, you know when when you're that was just that was before VCRs and everything. So if you wanted to watch. Uh, uh, Red River, you had to actually get up in the middle of the night <laughs> if it was on at two right. in the morning. And, right. and uh, my mom was very supportive of my interests. So she would say, as long as you get some sleep for school, <laughs> so I'd, be, I'd be up in the middle of the night and I'd be taking notes on movies and I never knew why. And then, you know, when I was about, oh, this is, I don't know, I was probably, this is close to 1980. And I was, I guess, um, late elementary or junior high school or whatever I was in. But I saw Jeremiah Johnson on uh, on TV. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, that Sidney Pollock movie. Uh, that is what really just made me think I really want to be doing this kind of thing. And uh, it's funny because I made it my my goal in life to work with as many people uh, as I could, who were involved in that movie in some capacity. So I haven't worked with Bradford yet. I did meet him a couple of times at the Sundance Film Festival. I've had films in that festival, but haven't worked with him yet. But I did work with uh, Stefan Garash, who plays uh, Dale Gu in the movie, the bald-headed guy who mm-hmm. Jeremiah rescues for me. <laughs> I, yeah. got to, I got to direct him before he died in a Sundance Channel Western that I did called uh, The Hunter's Moon. And he was great to work with. And then, uh, then uh, I got one of my mentors early on is a man named Mike Motor, and Mike uh, was a, one of the associate producers and the first assistant director on uh, on Jeremiah Johnson. So that's uh, um, poor Mike. Every time I'm together with him, all I want to do is talk about that movie and another movie he worked <laughs> on called Little Big Man. That's all. Oh I want yeah. To talk about. <laughs> I know both of, so, both of those films very well. Jeremiah Johnson's just a classic, amazing film, and Little Big Man's Dustin Hoffman. It was a great movie too. Yeah, the story behind behind uh, Jeremiah Johnson, just how they shot that, how Mike got his job. He was just a young guy. So I think he was nineteen or twenty, but Pollock couldn't get anyone else to go to the middle of nowhere and shoot movies up to their butts in snow. <laughs> he just <laughs> grabbed some grabbed some kid and said, "Come on, you're going with us." And and uh, his dad he was a director, and Mike was trying to feel his way through the business, see what he wanted to do in Hollywood, and then he he ended up being taken into a couple of movies that turned out to be absolute classics. So good way to start your career. Yeah. Yeah. That's an, that's a nice break, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all wish we had it that way, but uh, yeah. So that's kind of what, you know, what, relating to your podcast and horses, I think it's just um, as a kid, I wasn't surrounded by horses, but as soon as I decided to uh, become a filmmaker, which was pretty late because um when I got out of high school, all my family were musicians and my brother and I decided we were going to become musicians too. And we actually got, uh, ended up uh, very early on with a recording contract with A&M records and traveled the world and did all that stuff. So by the time I got back to film, I was 30, 31. And I went, you know, I went to the LA film school. I was like way, by far the oldest guy in my class. And, uh, but, but uh, Westerns, again, are what drew me back. So my thesis film was a, a movie called Turquoise, which um, really low budget, low, low budget. But it was uh, it was uh, a good story. I still I'm still proud of that script that I wrote in film school and ended up shooting that as a feature in film school. And I was lucky enough to get uh, 
a man named Baird Bryant, who was uh, a cinematographer, very well known in the 60s and 70s. And uh, he shot, if you, if you know the movie Easy Rider, all of the New Orleans stuff was him. He shot all of that. And then he was also iconic for being the guy who shot the footage at the Altamont uh, Raceway um, uh, Music Festival where the Rolling Stones were playing and the Hells Angels guy stabbed that hippie kid. Yep. That was Baird on stage with his camera who actually filmed all of that. So a, kind of a wild man, crazy guy, <laughs> never really mainstream Hollywood. But I, I knew someone who knew him, and I just walked up to his door and knocked and said, uh, I'm in film school, and I'd like to shoot my thesis film, and I'd like you to be the cinematographer on it. <laughs> he said, sure. <laughs> so that was, that was just kind of a shot in the dark to see if the guy would even answer the door, you know. Right. And the pot smoke is pouring out, <laughs> even though he's right. a real old man. It was like the guy was still 25 at heart, you know. It was it was funny. So um, that was my first feature film was a Western, and so I, I just kind of um, – learned how to shoot westerns just by using my memory and all those movies that that i had watched early on in my life and uh stole everything i can like <laughs> quentin tarantino says if you're going to steal steal from the best so i was stealing from john ford and howard hawks and sergio leone and, right. <laughs> and people would say to me wow that shot you got where you see the the lead character leaning against the tree and in the in the foreground right in front of the camera comes the horse's hooves and that's such a great shot. And I, I, well, I didn't invent it, man. They would do the twenties. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's fun. That's great. So then, then you said you, you owned some horses before too yourself. Or? Yeah. I've, I've had, I've had, uh, I, I was with a girl for uh, quite a while. Uh, my longest lasting relationship. I'm not married now, but I was with a girl for a while who ended up moving to a beautiful horse property in far Northern Idaho in the panhandle. But she and I owned horses together. I've had everything from quarter horses and paints to uh, to Frisians. I one of my favorite horses I ever owned was a Frisian. I loved it, and I, oh, he was older. He was like eleven, I think, when I bought him. But I just liked his personality so much. And uh, so, yeah, I don't own any any animals at all now because I travel so much. So, um, but eventually, I'm gonna I'm gonna find a, a piece of uh, property that's got uh, that's that's um, That'll work well too for uh, horses, and then I'll, I'll probably get back into it again. It's like owning a boat. Which one do you want to pour more money into? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Now, uh, also when um, I, when I reached out to you, uh, you, you know, you told me about this uh, play. That's one of the things that really intrigued me even more when you told me about this play called Ramona. Um, mm -hmm. Tell tell us about that and 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 what you've done in, in that sure that show. Uh, Ramona is California's official state play. It's uh, it takes place every spring in near this town of Hemet, California, which is a small town. It's also near uh, the wine country in Southern California, a place called Temecula. It's in that area. It's a beautiful six thousand seat amphitheater. Um, it, it's it's kind of like Red Rocks. The play, you know, the, the stands, the seats are set in one one part of it and then there's a big kind of open field with with small hills kind of semi mountains right behind it so the play takes place right 
through the hills and and uh, you know on that on that uh, grassy area right in front of where the audience is. And then there's uh, the play takes place in 1850 California. So there's a, a Mexican Spanish style hacienda built as part of the part of the set. And then there's a lot of Indian village stuff which is set among the among the rocks up on the hills. Mm-hmm. So the whole the whole play takes place in this open sort of area where it's like it it is like you're watching a movie it's so vast you know there's so much you can so much you can look at the audience's eyes are going every which way as the as the play takes place but um there's something like 300 people in the cast including uh a dozen uh or more cowboys that ride throughout the play they actually come through in you know groups of five or six as posse members as things like this uh um, shooting real, real weapons, you know, shooting blanks. And, uh, right. and, uh, it's kind of, we describe it as, um, Romeo and Juliet meets Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. That's kind of what it is. And the history of it is right when Mexico, when the war with Mexico ended and Mexico handed over California to the Americanos, and that's when the play takes place. And it's what happens to the, the uh, Mexicanos and the Indians who were living on these big haciendas or these big uh, ranchitos, rancheros, um, and uh, that's that's what the story is. It's based on an 1884 novel by a woman named Helen Hunt Jackson. And uh, the funny thing is, the play's been going on since 1923, so it's the longest continually running. Uh, play in North America and in, in the history of North America, it's been going on that long, but in, uh, in 2014, the, the powers that be who run this play, Ramona, um, they decided that the 1923 script had, was getting pretty long in the tooth. And nowadays with people locked into their Xboxes and their uh, smartphones that right. get people to sit two and a half hours to watch a play is kind of hard to do. So, they saw a movie of mine, a film called Vertical, which was uh, we won a bunch of awards internationally and domestically on that film, um, a film that I'd written and directed. They saw that film in the theater in their area, and they, uh, the board of directors uh, came to me. And they said, well, this guy lives, he has a cabin up in the mountains uh, in Idlewild, which is a town that's over 5,000 feet, but it's up in the mountains uh, above where this play takes place. And they said, well, he's got kind of a local connection. So they got a hold of me through my management and asked if I'd be willing to come and see their play and talk to them about doing a rewrite. And uh, again, because they'd seen that I do Westerns and things, they thought I might be a good fit and I'm you know, pretty close to them. So I went to see the play and they were right. You know, I'm sure in 1923 through 19, through the 1960s, there wasn't much entertainment going on. You know, you watch TV or you went to the movies or before TV had radio. So um, I'm sure it was pretty spectacular back then, but in the, in the 21st century, it just wasn't moving well into this new millennium. So they needed to beefed up. The first thing that I saw was the Cowboys were, awesome these guys who just they're all volunteers they show up with their own horses their own rigs or i mean they they outfit themselves they their costumes are theirs all of all of their weaponry their saddlery it's all theirs and it's all period correct but uh they were being really underutilized in the old play they just were they were on stage for maybe all of five minutes of the two and a half hours and three hours in the old play 
And that's the first thing I said was we need more cowboys (laughs) (laughs) and we need more shooting and things like that. So when I rewrote the play, I brought that aspect heavier into the story. And uh, I even have a a reenactment camera uh, cannon crew that comes in playing the Mexican army and they blow off this amazing, huge, authentic cannon. (laughs) (laughs) It rocks the whole valley. It's amazing. So that's kind of the thing, the aspects aspects that I wanted to bring to the play were the excitement part of it, you know, but still stick to the romantic story. It's uh, about a girl who's raised by a Spanish Mexican family and to be a, um, an upstanding little senorita and she falls in love with a native American man and all the trouble that causes. So that's the background of the story. So it's kind of, it is kind of like Romeo and Juliet in that way, but the other elements, the cowboys, and then we have, uh, we have dozens and dozens of, uh, uh, Kauia, um, Indian, uh, bird song dancers and singers and, and they, they're a big part of the play. And, uh, Spanish dancers and Spanish musicians. And so there's just, it's just this big pageantry kind of thing, you know, and it's an exciting, exciting play, a lot of drama. And again, the horses are a big, big part of that. They're just, um, people love seeing whenever they ride through shooting, people yeah. just go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty cool. Now, and and, and when, they have a good time. When, when do they, when is that held? When do they, when do they have that? It's, uh, it's uh, always the last two weeks in April and the first week of May every year yeah I can't and it's exciting that. and people people need to come see it it's uh it's a spectacle it's it's really great and again the you know the play's been going on 95 years now my play's been will be going into the fifth year of my new play but the but the play itself has been going on forever and and it does draw people from around the world you know japanese tourists and german tourists and things yeah. but a lot of people in the states just don't even know that it exists a lot of people in california don't even know they have an official state play well that's what i was just going to say it's it's i, I lived in california for 50 plus years and, and <laughs> I, I, I never i never knew about it you know um yeah it's interesting and it just sounds it sounds amazing you know well the pr the pr department has That aspect of it was also, you know, just the marketing was also pretty old school. And so they've been boosting that up again as well. They weren't even into social media until very recently. Right. So now, you know, they've started to see the attendance coming back up to where it was in the 60s and 70s, which was, you know, it's a 5,000, 5,500 seat amphitheater. And and they they were seeing less than a third for every performance where they used to see the place full. Now it's starting to get back to those old numbers just because of the the new play and the new marketing. So I'm I'm very proud of that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Now yeah. you, you you mentioned um, your other film, uh, Vertical. When when mm-hmm. did that come out? Vertical came out in two. We finished it in 2013, but we didn't release it. It still hasn't been officially released in the states. We just sold it for domestic distribution. Um, but it's. Uh, 2015 is when we really kind of released it European. We won uh, the film won best um, foreign film in at the uh, London International Film Festival in 2015, and then later that year at the I think the Paris Film Expo, we won best foreign language film. And so um, the film did really well, but it's just one of those things. Everybody involved got kind of busy, and we didn't know really what to do with it. And so now we've had a couple of offers on it. So it looks like we're going to finally get it distributed to 
Netflix or you know Amazon, something like that. Well, I don't know for sure right now. That's great though. That's not a western though. That's uh, that's a, a, a that movie's about women rock climbers, mountain climbers. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing is, I mean, I love all movies, and, and one of the things mm-hmm. I, I actually. Uh, needed some more humanities courses when I was in, in school. And I said, well, I'm going to take film. So I took a semester of American film. Then I took a semester of uh, foreign film and I really learned film etiquette. And I just learned to love foreign films by doing that. And so right. I, I, I love all kinds of movies and, and um, I look forward to, to checking that out and seeing it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a cool story. It, uh, and it's done. It's it's done really well at film festivals, and so now it's time to release it onto the world. But it's uh, yeah, it's got it's a cool family message. It's about uh, you know the, this group of uh, women who travel the world and get together a couple times a year, and they climb, they do rock climbing in different parts of the world, and uh, and one of them uh, ends up having terminal cancer, and they do a memorial climb in her honor, and and her daughter, who was really kind of estranged from her mom, learns about her mom through these rock climbing uh this rock climbing group of women and it's based on these five women that i met in joshua tree california they uh that's what they do and i just kind of based the story on some of the stories they were telling me no kidding and uh yeah it's a, it's a cool little movie and I'm, I'm looking forward to the to the world seeing it it's um i'm proud of it yeah that's great and and also i'm i'm not um totally familiar with it but you're the Idlewild film festival you you live in Idlewild, is that correct yeah, I have I have other places I live. I just have a cabin in Idlewild, California, which is about two hours east of L.A., but it's you get toward Palm Springs area, and then there are mountains on the left and mountains on the right of the 10 freeway. You head up the mountain on the right, and it, it takes you – you know, up to uh, we're 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 at about six thousand feet average in Idlewild, so it's like this little alpine village um, that just kind of is just here, you know. But the yeah. cool thing about Idlewild is it doesn't it it doesn't it's not a ski resort. It doesn't have we don't have McDonald's or anything like that. There's no chains of any kind. It's just allowed to remain as it has always since you know the last. 70 years it really hasn't changed much and so i uh, grew up in this area and idlewild was a big part of my childhood and then uh, when i had the chance i um i put together a team and we started the idlewild international festival of cinema which is uh, now we're going into our 10th year with our um our oscar uh, academy award um uh, sanction which means you know we'll start we get uh, we're going to be getting bigger um, studio films things like that mm-hmm. but it happens so we used to hold it in january but we've been having a lot of snow lately so we decided to move it to march so this past year was our first first time we we had it in march but it was still a big success and uh, so yeah going into our 10th year and um, really proud of where it's come we show 100 films every year and uh and uh, the town gets behind it and we have, you know, the town's only got 2,800 people. And then we add another 1,200 to that for a week every year. It's oh, <laughs> pretty crazy, but yeah, it's fun. Is, is that, is that open to the public or is that a. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anybody can come, you just buy tickets, but the, uh, but the filmmakers are mostly who come, you know, so they submit their films that they've made and they, they need to get awards. They need to get those laurel leaves on their movie posters saying they won this or that at this 
this festival or that festival. So the fact that we're so close to Los Angeles makes it really great because it's like it's not like being in the city at all. It, again, it's like a little alpine village, but so it's like a, a a getaway from LA, but it's but it's pretty close. You don't have to buy an airline ticket to get here. It's just drive your car and and you're here in a couple hours. You know, so that's crazy. I, and I've never heard of that place either. And I, you know, like I say, I, uh, and now I'm I'm actually pr- really probably not that far from there because uh, you know I'm in Arizona, just uh, mm-hmm. uh, on the way. On yeah, the, you're not far. Yeah, there's a new film festival starting in Sholo, Arizona, in October, and uh, I'm actually going to be there. They've asked me to come and and uh, show a couple of my movies and to do a seminar there. So I'm going to I forget the date. It's in early October, but that's in Sholo on the eastern side of Arizona. Yeah. And um, one of one of the movies I'm going to be showing, one of the projects I'm showing there is my new I've got a TV pilot that we're going to start pushing called Tucker's War. And that's a that's something that would be up your listeners alley because that it takes place in California. But in, in 1920, just after World War One, and it's about uh, a guy who comes back from war and he's a real cowboy and he's uh, he finds he's finding it hard to adjust to the the new world of airplanes and automobiles. And he just kind of wants to live like his dad did you know, right. the, the old West way. And um, so it's, it's, it's a pretty cool project because we've got a lot of horses, but we've also got model T Fords and things. Like yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. It's a great, it's a great story. So we've shot a test pilot on it, which is um, a full length, almost an hour long show. And I'm going to cut that up into episodes, like 10-minute episodes, and we're going to put it on YouTube and just get a feel for how people like it. So far, it's been doing great um, when we show it at film festivals as a as a full one-hour kind of uh, presentation. But I'm going to see how it works to, to cut it up and just put it online and then get some feedback on the story. And I'll keep you posted on that because people will just be able to go onto YouTube and, and see the episodes you know, one at a time. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds very cool. And and also yeah. when you come out here to Sholo too, I'd I'd love to come up there and, and check that out when you're here. So be sure and let me know what, what those dates are. Yeah, I'll, I'll if you just look it up online, Sholo Film Festival, it'll come up and and um it's it this is their first year, but it looks like they've got it together and it's I'm anxious to get there because when I was a traveling musician, we used to play that whole White Mountains area, Sholo, Pine Top. Mm-hmm. Then we'd come back through Globe, and we played Prescott a lot, and we'd play in Phoenix, and then we'd head up to Nevada. <laughs> it was this cool little uh, southwestern uh, tour route that we used to take a couple times a year. And uh, so I haven't been to Sholo since 1991, 92, something like that. So when they asked me to come and do this festival i was like yeah i'd I'd love to i'd love to see how the area's grown and and what's going on but arizona's a great state i love it yeah yeah we love it here too now absolutely Mm -hmm. hey hey, so um i know it's hard to pick but who's your favorite all-time western actor western actor yeah yeah i i don't know i like i like you know of course john wayne was amazing i like clint eastwood but but there are, you know, there are things. It d- depends on what you call a western. It's kind of hard sometimes. Westerns slide over into adventure. Like you couldn't really call Jeremiah Johnson a western per se. Right. It doesn't have the trappings of a western, but it still takes place in the West, even though it was the 1840s. You know, right. so it's. Uh, so 
So I don't know. I don't know if I could say who my favorite uh, Western actor would be. Um, Certain, you know, I love I love Alan Ladd and Jack Palance and Shane. I think that's my favorite Western of all time. And and neither of those guys was really known as Western actors, you know. But uh, but they just happened to hit on a chemistry in that movie that worked great. You know, and Alan Ladd was only five foot six. (laughs) He still pulled it off. I got to talk. There was one part of the. There's one shot in that movie where he's at the bar and he walks up to Ben Johnson, who's six two, six three, you know, right. and you can see he literally they don't show his feet, but you can see him go up a ramp. He kind of right. gets bigger as he gets to the bar. So right. I asked, I got a chance to meet Ben Johnson before he died, and and I was just another guy that I just was bending his ear, you know, and I asked him about that, and he just kind of chuckled. And he said, we didn't we didn't say anything, but even Alan Ladd laughed at him. Well, I might need a ladder, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, but that western is absolutely amazing, and it's way ahead of its time because even there are certain movies like if you take Red River with the Montgomery Cliff and right. and uh, John Wayne, and you take. Uh, you know, you take that movie as well, uh, Shane, and they're much more realistic as in terms of uh, of the costuming and the feel of the movies than most of the westerns of their time. Right. And you'd see, even though some of the movies I like them, you can still go see certain movies where the the realism just wasn't there. And you know, as far as like their hats were too small. I mean, these little tiny Hollywood hats, and you go. Right. Well, how is that keeping any sun off anybody's right. head? Exactly. But it was so that so that the audience could see their face, you know. But um, if you if you watch some of these movies, John Ford was just more of a, a stickler for realism, and uh, that's in and um, George Stevens, who directed Shane, he was more very much a stickler for realism. So uh, they brought in the right people to kind of uh, to kind of advise them on what the costuming should be, what the what the weaponry should be. And I appreciate those guys who are a little ahead of their time as far as uh, Western directors. But I think John Ford, of course, stands tall among all of the directors who, who were known for Westerns. He's probably the best that Clint Eastwood's done a great job in his career, but, um, but I'd have to say that John Ford is my favorite Western director. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Well, hey, where can people, um, you know, check you out on social media and in your your podcast? And uh... so, yeah, best way to find me. I don't, I don't run my uh, my own social media. I have a couple of assistants who. There's young girls; they're much better at that <laughs> than old men like me are. So, um, I uh, uh, I'm on Facebook, Stephen Savage. Um, if you look up uh, Stephen Savage Idlewild, you'll find both of my uh, my profile my private profile page and the fan page and um that's about the best way to find me or or log into idlewildcinemafest.com and that's the website for the uh for the film festival and there's a lot of con- contact information how to get a hold of me there um or if you have any questions i have uh i have a um a email for my uh, company, which is Lunatopia Productions at gmail.com. That's L U N A, like the moon, and then T is in Tom, O P I A, Lunatopia Productions, plural, at gmail.com. Perfect. And then in your podcast, uh, name of your podcast again? 
Yeah, so I if you look for the Savage Podcasting Network, you find that on uh, YouTube or iTunes, and that once again that's Savage, like my last name, the Savage Podcasting Network, and there you'll find uh, my show, um, the Stephen Savage Show, and you'll see I inter- interview a lot of uh, a lot of my Hollywood friends, actors, um, screenwriters. Uh, things like that and uh, it's it's been going well i've enjoyed i've enjoyed doing the podcast i wish i could do more than one a week but i just can't really find the time to do that but i'm i'm averaging one a week now and they're and they've been fun and i've I've been having a good time yeah that's that's great and it's it is a lot of work just putting a podcast together um you know yeah again like i said i think you've got a harder time because you're you're actually looking for kind of specific uh uh, horse community sort of guests, whereas I'm just calling people and let's just let's just talk like we normally would over coffee. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. different. Yeah. Well, hey, so. Stephen, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to catching up with you up at the uh, film festival in Sholo too, because that's just right close to us. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's in October, so I'm I'm going to be shooting a movie. I'm in London for a week in late September, and then I'm in in the deserts of California in uh, uh, in October. But um, I'm going to fly in for a few days for the film festival in early October, in between um, production dates on that movie. So I will definitely be there for sure, and I'll keep you posted, and and we can get together then. Very cool. Well, hey, thanks cool. again, Stephen. I really appreciate it, and um, I look forward to getting this uh, episode out uh, on iTunes. Great, Dan. Thanks so much. Let me know when it's up. I'd love to hear it. Every Friday afternoon, I hitch up the trailer. Saddle up old rock and ice down a cooler. I drive that old back road until it ends at the rope and Got them rusted out pickups and fancy rigs. Twenty thousand dollar horses. Then there's my own stick. Although we're all the same, the minute we ride in to the roping pen. can tell someday I just might be we'll turn a few steers and we'll tell a few lies kick back in the saddle and philosophize most of life's problems yeah we're gonna solve down at the roping pen Yeah, we don't do it for the money. You were always broke. Just ask Clint what he paid a rope. Now he's lost a dozen wives. Half the fingers on his hands to the rope and pen. And it takes a little skill and a little luck. If you can talk smack, you can back it up. Oh, but we're all friends. No matter who wins, down at the rope and
Next weekend, down at the Roman 